Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. It's a bonus Thursday episode and we're going to be looking at some of the voicemails that you've sent us. Okay, so the first couple of voicemails we've got are from Jason Connolly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Take it away, Jason. Hey, Hannah and John, Jason here. I just listened to your last three episodes, really enjoyed them. Haven't been driving a whole lot, so I kind of binged them. I think using a dodgy accent to show a foreign language is brilliant. I really like that, and I'll probably use that in the future. The one thing I think you have to be careful of is if you're using a real-world accent, or even if you're not, but not to fall into character, right? So if you're doing a Spanish accent, that's fine, but don't fall in where you're, like, making fun of Mexicans. You, you know what I mean? Or if you're doing Asians, don't do the typical, you know, like Asian tourist thing or something like that. So you have, and I think the other thing is to make sure you talk to your players ahead of time so they know you're not making fun of certain cultural groups. But, you know, that's a whole know your group kind of thing and, and don't be a dick kind of thing. But yeah, I think that's actually a brilliant idea. I really like that. Um, the other thing I want to mention, the vampire episode, you mentioned Chinese vampires, which is awesome. I rewatched Mr. Vampire the other night. If you haven't seen that, you can find it on YouTube. Mr. Vampire was a series of comedy films, you know, Hong Kong comedy films with those hopping vampires, which is really neat. As far as the running water and vampires and acting as acid, that probably goes back to at least Hammer, but, you know, it really came into the fore, like with Rifts and with some other RPGs where they started using squirt guns, you know, against vampires. And, and you see that in Lost Boys, which you mentioned. So I think that's where that's coming from these days. Thanks very much, Jason. Some great feedback there, and we're pleased that you're enjoying the episodes. I've got to admit, we'd not heard of Mr. Vampire, but we will certainly give that a look. Anyway, it looks like Jason's got some more to say. Hey, guys, really enjoyed the last couple episodes, especially the um, I Don't Like Mondays where you're talking about faction play and, and your world building and your campaign. Um, so I'm playing a couple games that have pretty good faction play one i think is winding now now but that's dave aldrich's black hat game he's really built factions into that game it's really expanded and made the black given the black hat legs make it a better playing game for long-term games and then also carl rodriguez is doing a wonderful job with factions in his broken lands campaign um, which is a bx game where we're playing humanoids using the works of our gazetteer and and there's lots of faction play in that so really good stuff um, really like the ideas you're talking about some of that reminds me of buddy eric nosley's mcgee's um wise guys setting for savage worlds where you're playing like mobsters in the 50s that's got a lot of things like the heat how to do heists and all that for savage worlds but it works really good so anyhow really enjoying the thoughts looking forward to the second installment of that talk to you later Hi Jason, yeah I'm a big fan of faction play myself as I'm sure you've gathered but I mainly enjoy it as a sort of content generator. Now hopefully you've heard the second installment of Mining Johannes's conversation about this by now because it's been released, we're just sort of catching up on our voicemails and I hope you enjoyed the second installment but we've just run the first session of my Midlands game using ICRPG where we actually rolled these rules out and started to put them into practice. And after chatting to the players after the game, 
one of the things that certainly Colin and a couple of others seemed to like was the fact that the game almost runs itself once you get to a certain point because you've got this network of antagonistic and allied factions all sort of butting heads with each other with the PCs caught in the middle. So as a GM, it makes it very easy for you to generate content and to come up with ideas rather than having to do all that ridiculous amounts of prep and sort of scratch your head and try and come up with specific adventures. You can look at the table and go, right, who's annoyed with the PCs? Right, who's conflicting with each other? And it almost generates itself. So that's why I'm a big fan of it. So thank you very much for that call in, Jason. And next up, we have a couple of calls from Barry over at the Shadow of the GM podcast. I highly recommend you check that out. So let's see what's Barry's got to say for himself. Hi, John and Hannah. Barry here from Shadow GM Podcast, commenting on the first time on the new podcast. Um, I just wanted to say I loved your episode on cliches. I've never really thought of cliches as being a good thing to use in RPGs. People are often really critical of cliches, but I'm aware I use a lot of them from the way you describe them, and I do like them. Um, has to be said, going back to the nostalgia you prompted the other days, back to our Barrow Maze game, back when you know we could still play face-to-face, there was a few times there, cliches kind of kicked in a little bit around, ooh, look, you know, not to give too much wink, so every place those little scenarios again, opening up something and finding a body in there with a shiny on it and thinking, hmm, this dude's going to move when I take this thing off them. The statues, we did the fishing line dwarf trick with the statues, and I think the key thing is that, although we saw those cliches, I was well aware of those cliches of what might happen, and what in fact did happen, we still went ahead and did stuff anyway, because I think that's part of adventuring, is that you accept those cliches, but you, you know, you play with them, you carry on in the game, you know, with a bit of a, I guess a little bit of wariness around them, but it doesn't stop you engaging with the game around it, Um, but yes, it does really save on a lot of exposition, you kind of hook into those common tropes, and like you said, it is worth subverting them sometimes, but they are there for good effect. Um, just to jump in there sometimes. Um, one of the things I want to say, uh, which I might have to do a second message on, because 90 seconds still isn't long enough for me rambling on, is around about the big battle scenes. Um, so I remember from playing, I want to say it was Legend of the Five Rings, yeah, definitely Legend of the Five Rings, back in the day, that they had a mechanic around combat where the battle's going on around you, but then there's kind of like mini scenes in between where like the battlefield clears and like your samurais would face off against other heroes. And that very much tied into the sort of trope around the sort of, you know, the fact that samurai warriors were a lot more respected, there's a lot more honour around it and the sort of like, you know, your people on the ground were too scared to fight with them because it wasn't seen honourable and they weren't considered, you know, significant enough to fight them and so the people would move out to let these people fight and it reminds me a little bit of you look at tropes again from you mentioned lord of the rings quite a few times you know at the start when you know sauron turns up and he starts walking through the battlefield and his own troops move out of the way and there's a fight obviously with the old kings and you know uh, where Isildur eventually chops his finger off etc but that kind of trope there where the battlefield clears and i've used that a few times in games where the battle's raging that basically you know what we do is we focus in on the heroes and like some significant event happens either there's something they have to try and stop happening like a siege engine turns up and they become focused on that point of the siege engine or like a, an enemy hero turns up and the battlefield kind of clears out the way because everyone's scared of them and the hero has to go off to face them i kind of use that one to kind of keep the players engaged so they're not they get very focused on micro elements um also interesting to hear you pulling sharp out of it actually and the cliches that made me laugh at the non fantasy example and i have just listened to all those books quite recently so yeah anyway that's it for me and i shall go away um, enjoy your podcast uh, you two keep on going well thanks for your message barry uh really like the suggestion of using siege engine for a battle scene for a way to focus the players while the rest of the battle's going on around them really useful 
also really glad you enjoyed the cliches episode uh we're hoping to be getting a bit more mileage out of some of that stuff very soon um it's something that as long as your player group's happy with it it's always a good way to go i've found yeah for anyone who's not aware as well when barry was referring to the barrow maze game uh, that was because before all the whole lockdown procedure was in place there was a small convention in my hometown and a few of the the people who are on the audio dungeon barry pete jones etc came down and we actually got a chance to game in person and i ran them through the Barrow Maze by Greg Gillespie using D&D 5th edition rules. And it's a sort of hex crawl, explore them up where you're searching these haunted barrows, delving into tombs, looking for treasure, you know, standard adventuring stuff. And we had a great time while we're doing that. So thank you very much for that call, Barry. And we've got a couple more calls now from Jason Connolly. So take it away, Jason. Hi, Hannah and John. This is Jason again. I wanted to call you about some vampire movies. I ran out of time the first time I recorded this, so maybe I'll try to plan it to be a couple sessions. I don't know. Um, too much to talk about, really. There's so many great vampire movies out there. Of course, I, I'm an old monster kid. I love the um, universal horror movies, all those kind of things. See, Maddie likes those, too. In fact, Maddie wants to recommend to you Zoltan, Hound of Dracula. I think it's Zoltan. I'll I'll look that up. But yeah, that's a pretty neat movie. It's got a Doberman Pinscher who's a vampire. Um, so, so that one's pretty good. I, I do like that one. Uh, a movie similar to that, although not vampires, is well. I'll bring that up when you talk about werewolves, won't I? So other movies I like. I quite enjoy. I, I think Grave of the Vampire is an interesting overlooked movie. It's like a seventy-one movie. Um, low-budget American movie, but it is where the Blade story came from. If you watch that and then you watch Wesley Snipes' Blade or you read the Marvel comics, that character's background comes right from that movie, Grave of the Vampire. The the only difference is the ethnicity swap of the character. But uh, other than that, it's the same thing. Oh, Maddie saying it's about up. As you might guess, I'm not a big fan of heroic vampires or vampires having a lot of their own agency. Although I do like, I quite like the Blackula films. I, I think he brings an ability to the character. And you actually have Dracula in the beginning of Blackula as well. But I, I, I think the, that character is interesting. But I do like vampires as monsters. I, I, I quite like Fright Night, the 80s Fright Night. Not the Colin Farrell one, but the, the original, Roddy McDowell. Um, I think Palladium did vampires right. because. If you're in one of the Palladium games, like Rifts, you, you don't want to be a vampire. You, you don't want to have a vampire character because the vampires were just what, what they ended up being hosts infected by alien intelligence, right? So, you, you, you know, you, you didn't have any, any personal agency there at that point. Um, another one I like, it's slow these days, it's a TV movie, but Stephen King, Salem's Lot. The, not the Rob Lowe remake, but the original Salem's Lot had a couple kind of spooky m- moments in that show. And um, I don't know if it's worth watching at all for those spooky moments, but Salem Lot, Salem's Lot is a pretty good vampire flick. So, so maybe I gave you a couple different things to think about um, that most people don't normally mention. 
That was Jason Connolly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Again, thank you very much for those additional recommendations, Jason. I've actually seen Zoltan Hound of Dracula many, many years mm-hmm. ago and very much enjoyed it. But because I'm a fan of those sort of schlock horror films, I mean, we both are, aren't we, really? I think that was actually one of the first horror films I ever saw. <laughs> yeah, and like I say, if you, if you love those schlock horror films, it's a great one, which we both do. But we'll definitely have a go at finding that out again so that we can re-watch that and i'm pretty sure i've seen grave of the vampire and blackula as well but again not for many years so that conjured up some pleasant memories of watching those and we will try and give them another watch now i think it was interesting what jason was saying about how much actual agency and freedom of action a vampire has because mm. quite often they're put, i mean even in like world of darkness and stuff like that you're portrayed as being sort of almost at the mercy of these these impulses that like mm-hmm. are sort of forced on you when you become a vampire so i think that could be quite a quite a sort of dynamic and like interesting thing but obviously you've got to be a bit careful about that because it's going to be no fun doing a player character if you can't control anything yeah and obviously a lot of the stuff with vampires is quite like dark if you really think about it too much. Oh yeah, definitely. And if you want a fun game, then you kind of want that sort of campy hammer horror tone to it. Whereas if you want something like a bit more meaty, a bit more melodrama and backstabbing intrigue and that kind of stuff, you need the right player group and everybody needs to know what the rules are and where the lines are. Yeah, I think it's very much a case of, like you say, you need to know your group, and as Jason said mm-hmm. as well, and then sort of pitching a game that's appropriate to what you want to do in the group of players that you have. But I think that's a very good point, Jason, so thank you very much for those voicemails. Next up, we've got a few voicemail calls from Goblin's Henchman. I've recently been binge-listening to his entire back catalogue and left him a fair few voicemails. And he's been kind enough to send us a few back. So let's see what Goblin's Henchman has to say. Hi John, Goblin's Henchman here. So thanks very much for all the messages. Uh, keep them coming if you if you want to. Certainly don't feel that you're bombarding me. That's no problem at all. It's always, I'm sure you know as a podcast, it's nice to hear what people think. Um, I think in some ways, if you're doing a, a binge on my shows, you've got the advantage that most of them are quite short anyway cheers fella and uh yeah look forward to hearing what else you have to say cheers bye so goblin's henchman's next message relates to an episode he did where he was talking about the various terms and words that are used to refer to gm dm etc and i left him a message saying that i'm not a big fan of all the different terms I generally don't think they're needed and they don't particularly add anything to a game. They just seem to be done more to try and like distance themselves from the original RPGs. And I generally just stick to GM or DM and pretty much ignore them. I mean, in my message I said I'm not even keen on Storyteller, which was used in the 90s World of Darkness games. But let's see what Goblin's Henchman has to say. Hi John, Goblin's Henchman here. So yeah, thank you very much for all your messages. Sorry, there's some background noise there. Um, yeah, I, I sort of actually come round to this idea of, uh, I, after going around in the circle about GM being a player, I just sort of started worrying that if you call a GM a player, it kind of implies, you know, like in chess, two players, them against us. So that's now, I'm beginning to wonder about, you know, having a GM versus a player. I mean, 
or DM term rather than sort of a player term. But, um, you know, I think, you know, it's a bit odd because I'm about as old-fashioned as it gets. I ubiquitously use the word DM. So after all that, uh, I wonder whether it <laughs> makes sense. Uh, but I still think the main point, though, of course, is that um, the DM is the player. He just has a different role. He is, you know, he is, he's there to have fun too. All right, cheers, well up, bye. So hi, henchman. Uh, really glad to get your voicemails. Glad you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, I actually completely disagree with both of you on this. I quite like using specialist terms for particular types of GM. So, for example, in the world of darkness, you're a storyteller, not a dungeon master, because you're not pulling people around dungeons, you're telling a story. In the game that I'm currently running, I refer to myself or whoever's running the game at the time as the director and the other players as the cast, because I wanted to go for that TV flavour with it being Star Trek. Um, There's been other games that I've run where there's been particular specialists like GM titles and I do think it adds flavour to the game but it also as you say does define the role differently as a director I do demand certain things of the cast or crew members to make the story move along and when they're directing I expect to do the same Uh, whereas a dungeon master is somebody who's built a dungeon And I, as a player, am going to play through that dungeon. And it does have that slightly adversarial me-against-you thing that you talk about. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, as long as everyone goes into the game knowing that's the game. And we have a final call from Goblin's Henchman now. And this is related to an episode he put out where he was talking about people who produce professional maps, modules, etc., online and how some people can find it discouraging you know you think oh you're never going to measure up to that particular standard and i left him a voicemail saying the way i try and look at it is not as something i need to measure up to but as something you can aspire to and i'm sure goblin tangent will talk about uh, some examples of people who started off and then got better because they were doing something that they enjoyed. And I think that's the way to look at it, more as an aspirational target rather than as a measuring stick. But let's see what Goblin's Henchman has to say. Hi, John. Goblin's Henchman here. So, yeah, thanks for the message about measuring up. Um, Actually, interestingly enough, I think a lot of things you said, I I sort of come around to the conclusion myself, and uh, I ended up leaving a message on Che Webster's Roleplay Rescue uh, which discussed, you know, my evolved thinking on measuring up. And um, I don't know if you listened to that podcast, but it was a little bit of a, a long one, so I won't repeat it here, so about, you know, four or five minutes. I think it's on his most latest DM's diary, maybe the one before. But, uh, yeah, I think essentially I said that you should do things because you love and enjoy it rather than trying to impress people. And, you know, the more you do it because you like it, the better you'll get. And I referred to Luca Rejek, who who seemed to do that on G+, who got better and better as an artist just because he enjoyed drawing, not because he was trying to prove something, in my opinion, anyway. <laughs> All right, cheers, have a good weekend, bye. Thanks very much for leaving that message, Goblin's Henchman, and yet you are absolutely right. I think people do get better at doing stuff if they enjoy doing it. 
Now, Goblin Henchman mentioned Che Webster's podcast, Roleplay Rescue, there. If you've not checked that out, you really should go and do that. In fact, I was interviewed on Roleplay Rescue recently, talking about fate. And he also does these great GM's Diaries episodes, where he sort of drills into issues he's been having in his games, and issues other people have been having, and generally discusses things that will be of interest to people GMing games. So... I really recommend you give both that and Goblin's Henchman's podcast a listen. And next up, we've got another couple of calls from Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Take it away, Jason. Hey, Hannah and John. Um, I already left you some thoughts on vampires. So, with 30 Days a Night, actually, that's one of the more modern ones I kind of like. I can definitely see what John's talking about with them being more zombie-ish. I think you definitely have that mix although you see that in older fiction too you know, like say in fright night you know when he goes all vamp at the end he and you see that also in some others the other one i forgot to mention that, that I, oh i know the other one you see that to some degree is in salem's lot but i didn't mention monster squad which is maybe you know one of my favorite versions of dracula the just because he's such a well i don't want to use bad word on your podcast but you know, he's, he's he's so cruel, you know, yet Dracula doesn't care about taking out little kids. You know, he throws dynamite in the kids' clubhouse. But other than that, I guess I'll quit prattling on. Um, or if anything else, just avoid Argento's Dracula. I, I kind of like what he tries to do there. You know, I, th- I want to say Rucker Howard's Dracula in that. But he, he definitely pulls some weird powers out of his... his Tough, so instead of like turning to wolf, he turns into a prey man at one point. But the CGI is just horrible, so it's kind of hard to suffer through. But anyhow, talk to you later. Hi again, Jason. Uh, thanks again for all the film recommendations. You've really given us quite a list to work through. Um, Monster Squad, again, one that I've seen many times. Absolutely love it. Absolute classic sort of kids on bikes story. Yeah, as Hannah said, thank you very much for giving us that list of vampire films. We will definitely be trying to find some of those out and watch those. And hopefully we'll be looking at some other some iconic horror monsters in the future. We'll definitely consider giving werewolves a good look at because I love a good werewolf movie myself and you mentioned them in your early message. So we know we've at least got one person who's interested in that. So let's move on to Jason's next message. Hey, Hannah and John, this is Jason. Enjoyed your movie cliche, fantasy movie cliche episode. I agree with number two, the puzzles. You really have to be careful to do them right. I share John's reservations here. Um, they can be done, but you have to be careful. As far as backgrounds, yeah, I'd love to hear top ten reasons not to do character backgrounds. I am not a big fan of character backgrounds. They're a pain in the butt um, as a GM from my perspective. And to be honest, as a player, because I don't like doing that stuff. But that's, I know some people do. Um, but I much prefer to figure it out as I go. So you go, you do something cool as a character, and oh yeah, let, let's say in the backstory this, this, and this. And you use the, the events that happen in the game to then describe the background at that point. So, you know, that emergent background kind of thing. As far as battles go, yeah, if the PCs aren't directly involved, like they're fighting that character, I don't like rolling for NPCs. So, even if like you have the PCs and then you have like three NPCs attached to that PC squad fighting bad guys. I'm typically not going to roll for the NPCs at all 
I'm just going to narrate, you know, I'll give a quick narration what happens. Oh, yeah, and they take down one goblin or one of, one of your henchmen go down or whatever. You, maybe not henchmen, but other, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm not going to waste everybody's time rolling for non-PC characters if, if it's NPC versus NPC. Hi, Jason. Yeah, I definitely agree with you about character backgrounds. Now, I don't mind if someone wants to come up with a character background, but I think if you make a background too specific, you're in danger of not leaving yourself any room for manoeuvre. Like you say, if something cool occurs in-game, it's nice to have a little bit of wiggle room in your background so you can incorporate that if you want. Whereas if you've got it all mapped out 100% in advance, you don't leave yourself anywhere to go with it. And also, if your character dies in like the first session, you've spent, and I suppose that's more of an OSR thing, you've spent all that time doing that background and none of it's really been used. I'm a great proponent to the fact that the story is whatever happens in the game. So it's nice to have like a rough background before then. So to use like a Star Wars reference, yeah, we know that Luke Skywalker was like a, a young farmhand on a farm, but we don't get his entire life story up to that point. We get a few little sort of like highlights. Oh yeah, he's, he's with his aunt and uncle and they've been looking after him on this little moisture farm. And that's it. We're then into the, the exciting bit of the story, which is what you do at the table, rather than writing loads of stuff beforehand and then maybe that not sort of coming through when you're actually playing the game. So I'm chuckling here because I'm not sure if John's aware of how much of Luke Skywalker's background was in the original cut of Star Wars and how much of it ended up on the editing floor. But I, I'm led to understand it was over an hour's worth. Yeah, but you see, and the, that does rather illustrate your point there. I was going to say, yeah, the <laughs> fact that it ended up on the editing floor tells you everything you need to know. Now, there's nothing wrong with sort of starting off with an idea of your background in your head, but if you put it all down on paper, it's all there in black and white, then, and it might never get used. And if it doesn't get used, what's the point in spending all that time on it? Now, this is why I like to ask players for two or three bullet points. Yeah, that's a good way, don't it? That way. They've got a place to give you, basically, here's a story I'm interested in doing for my character. But because it's bullet points and it's like one or two sentences, you don't have to read 20 reams of fan fiction about this character that's actually like not capable of doing half the stuff they've written into their background. And you don't have to have the argument about, oh, well, I wrote it in my background and you said it was okay. And all the other things that yeah. these like overlong tragic backgrounds lead to, but you do still have these little notes for the GM to use to help them build a story that you're interested in playing. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And we will definitely consider doing an episode top 10 reasons not to do a character background and taking a bit of an inspiration from a podcast you recently turned me on to. We might also do an episode top 10 reasons that you should do a character background just to give a sort of a bit of an alternate point of view, because as Hannah was just saying, backgrounds do have their place in RPGs. And like a lot of these things, it's dependent on the game the group, the games master, and a lot of other factors. So whilst I don't think I'd be comfortable saying you should definitely not write a background for any game ever, I would say you need a little bit of a, a lightness of touch, even if you are doing a background, as Hannah said, and bullet points are a great way to go. 
Now we have a couple of voicemail messages from my old mucker Colin Green, aka Spike Pit, of the similarly named podcast. And I think Colin's got something to say about our recent episode where we talked about the D&D cartoon. John, listen to Hannah when she tells you Bobby is the younger brother of the rogue. The girl, I think she's a redhead. In real life, in the cartoon, he is the little brother. (laughs) Oh man, you guys were making me die. I don't know how you get away with that though. Is it not a copyright strike on YouTube or is that only if you play the cartoon and the soundtrack at the same time? I suspect you've looked into it and there's some kind of loophole that you are cleverly exploiting. But man... Next time, just let Hannah enjoy her cartoon, man. <laughs> oh, excellent. So funny. And not at all cynical. But I like the way you balanced the criticism with the, uh, the picking out the things you thought were cool. I actually reckon deep down, John, you're a big old fan of that D&D cartoon, man. Hold on a minute now. Listen, as much as I like you guys, I nearly crashed my van because Hannah said... Pretty much nobody likes Fantastic Beasts films. What? What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> maybe not films, because that second one, I well, I don't even know what to say about that. But I thought the first one was pretty cool, um, especially if you don't think of it so much as Harry Potter, I, I reckon. Um, I thought there were some pretty awesome ideas and stuff in there and... For for role-playing games, uh, some really pretty cool pocket dimension type stuff. I like that getting in the suitcase. Um, Yeah, probably for hardcore Harry Potter fans, perhaps they don't like it, but old Spike Pit does. Hi, Spike Pit. Really glad you enjoyed the D&D review uh, from the point of view of D&D players. Um, Yes, we are covering our asses as far as the legal stuff goes with that. Yeah, we're paying close attention to like the, the sort of fair use review style stuff. And we're hoping to be able to get a few more similar things where we review other films from the point of view of DMs using them for game ideas. I'm pushing hard for horror films at the moment, but that's just because I like <laughs> horror films. So, Fantastic Beasts. Don't. I- I absolutely misspoke. I agree. Yes, many people did very much enjoy the first Fantastic Beast film, I, I, including yeah. myself. Yeah, we really, to be honest, we really enjoyed the first film. However, certainly the parts of the internet where I spend a lot of time did not enjoy the second film. And this is possibly something that we might do in an upcoming episode as well, about as well, um, which is mystery boxes and basically how much you can and can't use them in games because obviously uh, the J.J. Abrams Lost is your classic example of the mystery box that goes too far. At the end of every series there was a new mystery box it didn't really get answered and then when it did answer it was a big letdown because everybody had had too long to think about how it should have played out. Mm. Now, in the case of the crimes of Grindelwald and how Grindelwald got on his like track and that kind of thing, 
I do heartily recommend you take a look at a short film on YouTube on a channel called Broad Strokes, which I think was called The Wizard's Jewel, which is the sort of story that the fans were expecting. And I'm not saying that you have to give your fans what they expect, but I'm saying if you've laid something out... And I'm not saying you have to give your fans what they expect or your players what they expect every time. But if you set up a mystery box and your players come up with half a dozen theories as to what it is and tell you all their theories and most of them have like got some part of what your original plan was and you go, oh no, the fans have already worked it out, let's throw all that in the bin and make something else up, you're going to end up with a lot of angry fans and just the same if you as a GM did that, you would end up with a lot of angry players. I mean, maybe that's a future episode we could do at how to implement the sort of mystery box well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for those two voice of our messages. That was Colin Green from the Spike Pit podcast, who plays in my ICRPG Midlands game, runs a lot of games himself, and has a fantastic podcast that I back on Patreon. I highly recommend you go and give that a listen. If you want to listen to some down-to-earth, no-nonsense chat about RPGs. Anyway, now we're going to end this episode as we started it with a final voicemail from Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Hey, Hannah and John. This is Jason. Just listen to your Zorn episode. I'm always, I always enjoy your monster episodes because I was a first edition AD&D fan and player and never got into the later editions. So I haven't really read the second edition or fifth edition monster manuals. So it's always interesting to hear about those creatures and, and those descriptions, you know, and then compare them to what I know from the other editions, the older editions. So keep up the great work. Thanks again, Jason. I'm glad you enjoyed the Zorn episode. That was a bit of a challenging one to record. As I'm sure you're aware, having listened to the episodes, we pick a monster pretty much at random, and then we talk about it. And the thing about the Zorn is, as far as I'm concerned, it comes very much from that sort of space filler, or we need a monster that begins with X. Oh, it's got a random number of arms. It's got a mouth on the top of its head, because why not? It's got a selection of random abilities, and it comes from an elemental plane, because why not? It doesn't really have a great deal of sort of ecology built around it. And there might have been articles that expanded it later, but certainly in the Monster Manual, it's just a monster that exists on the elemental plane of Earth, and you really have to put some thought into how you could actually bring it into a game if you wanted to. So it was quite challenging to make that episode, but it was it was a good thing to do because... Obviously, we're all familiar with lots of these different monsters and you could put a different spin on them, but I don't think it's worth challenging yourself every now and again to see if you can include an unfamiliar monster or something that your players won't have come across in your own game. But we're really glad you enjoyed that episode. So that's it for this voicemail episode. Thanks to all of our callers. There was Barry from Shadow of the GM, Goblin's Henchman, Colin Green, a.k.a. Spike Pit, and, of course, Jason Connolly from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. 
thank you to all of you for sending voicemail messages in. It really does mean a lot to us to get this feedback and this sort of conversation going with you guys. I'd like to take a moment to especially highlight Jason, who sends us in voicemails regularly and gives us feedback on our episodes. Thank you very much, Jason. Please continue doing that in future. We really do value the feedback and your input, as well as the great list of films that you've given us to watch. Yeah, huge thanks, everyone. Until we see you next time, if you want to get in touch with us, maybe you've got suggestions for future episodes you'd like to see, or maybe you just want to have a bit of a chinwag like some of the people on here have been doing, you can leave us a voicemail message using the SpeakPipe website. There's a link to do that in the description of this show. Or you can leave us an email at podcast at gmail.com until we see you next time take care stay safe and keep gaming bye